Hello, Worcester in the world. You're listening to Public Hearing on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Joshua Croak, and for this special episode of Public Hearing, we are joined by Jennifer J. Gaskin, author of The Exit, Living with Urban Joy. Public Hearing is Action by Design's podcast and radio show where we explore the unique challenges and opportunities facing Massachusetts gateway cities as they work to create more equitable, liberated, and sustainable communities. We're bringing you stories of community change work featuring the people and organizations working to make a difference in their cities. And we're so happy to be seeing listeners share and talk about this season and the importance of the work that we are are doing um, specifically inside the season of digital equity, our most recent season on the show. Learn more about how you can support the show at publichearing.co. This is the Public Hearing Podcast. Jennifer, writer, orator, revolutionary, Jennifer Gaskin is a Caribbean-American Black woman creator who delivers her message through direct, strong, and honest oration and writing. Often misunderstood due to her raw and gritty delivery, she has dedicated her next journey to giving a voice to those also walking this path. She aspires to provide a voice for the voiceless and create space and connection for healing. Writing has served as an outlet of healing and connection for Jennifer. She believes there is power in creating an opening to understanding through having intentional conversations, leading with love, and sharing culture to enable authentic connection. This was the motivation behind the creation of the Worcester Caribbean American Carnival Association, which Jennifer leads. The organization connects the local community through a shared experience of culture and creates a shared annual tradition. On June 1st, 2023, Jennifer released her debut book, The Exit, Living with Urban Joy. The Exit takes readers through her life's trials and triumphs to understand how living with urban joy can make a difference. She is also one half of the podcast, Don't Touch My Podcast, founder and president of the Worcester Caribbean American Carnival Association, and author of the Substack newsletter, Bacchanal Business. Jennifer's bio ends with, Black Voices Matter, Her Voice Matters, our collective voices matter. And I am so glad to introduce our listeners to Jennifer. So Jennifer, welcome. Is there thank any- you, Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you again. Yes, it's so always so fabulous to have you on the show. Before we dive in, is there anything else you'd like listeners to know about you? Um, I think the, the, the main thing I would like pe- people to know about me is, first of all, don't believe anything you hear. Ask the question. Um, I'm always open to a conversation. I'm always open to a dialogue. And I think it just makes everybody better if we're willing to, you know, at least hear each other out. We don't always have to agree, um, but we should at least hear people out. So I know a lot of times, you know, like my bio says, a lot of times I'm misunderstood um, or people get, you know, a sound bite from me or they read something from me um, and maybe you know, have an opinion. Um, but what I would say to everybody is don't just form an opinion on that. Um, if you have the opportunity, take the opportunity, introduce yourself and let's have a conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing that. And you and I actually connected what seems like so long ago now. I know. <laughs> and when I interviewed you for a video series at Action Worcester, which was the nonprofit I had started at the time with my friend Kyla Pacheco, shout out Kyla, was yeah, we, shout were doing, out Kyla. we were doing a video series called Let's Make Worcester, mm-hmm. insert, like, insert thing here. Um, yours was Let's Make Worcester Vibrant. And since then, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you and your work better. I've enjoyed the beautiful self 
celebration of community you accomplish every year through the Worcester Caribbean Carnival. Um, and I tune into Don't Touch My Podcast that you make with the <laughs> fabulous Giselle Flores. So shout out to Giselle as well. Um, and now a book, The Exit, Living with Urban Joy. Talk to me a bit about the journey. Um, so really, you know, much like everybody else, when the pandemic hit, my life changed, right? We, I went from the 24-7, you know, out and about, you know, social, doing this, doing that. Um, and really what I figured out um, very quickly in the pandemic is that I was working a lot and not taking care of myself. Um, I wasn't dealing with, um, you know, the things in my life that that had happened or I had experienced or even the, the positive things. Like I wasn't really taking the time to, to take those things in, um, experience it, deal with it. And I think the major thing um, that kind of came to a head for me um, during the pandemic was the grief around my father passing away in 2015. Mm -hmm. When my father passed away, I, I, I think I took like the regular, like three day bereavement, went straight back to work, went straight back into everything that I was doing. And I never really stopped and experienced um, and really dealt with the grief. Um, and during the pandemic, it literally came on top of me. Um, and then with the stuff that, you know, with the murder of George Floyd, um, you know, the insurrection, it, it, you know, the whole the whole Trump presidency, right? Um, like, it was really just, really just traumatic. Um, and I knew at a certain point that I was, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, emotionally underwater. Um, and so I, you know, said, okay, how do I deal with this? Um, and I've been a writer my entire life. Um, and I journal and I do things like that to help. And I just decided one day, like, you know what, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to share this because I imagine that there's a lot of people who are sitting in the same place as me right now. And maybe my words can help somebody. Um, and that's really where it came from. And I, and I, I knew going into it that it would require a certain level of vulnerability. I don't think that I realized it fully until I started putting the words on the page and then thinking about somebody reading the words on the page. Um, so really that, that last hurdle. And, and frankly, I still think about it to this day. Giselle still gets voice notes with me like, Oh my God, people are going to know all, all about me. But honestly, it's, it's been, um, reassuring. Um, and, and people have really come out to be supportive. Um, and what I have found is that there is a lot of alignment and there is a lot of people who needed to hear these words. Um, and there are a lot of people who, um, can relate with my experiences and maybe see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, after reading. Absolutely. And, and this book really does showcase so much of you and your experience and, and you really are vulnerable with the reader. And um, I, I so appreciated hearing your words and, and your voice through that as, as I, as I read my way through through the book. And in the introduction of the book, you say urban environments are not meant for joy. Our society mm -hmm. doesn't encourage joy. We need joy. We need urban joy to survive. Talk to me about urban joy. So urban joy is intentional joy. And urban joy is, and I talk about it in the book and in the, in the introduction, urban joy is anything 
that is an opening for you to see hope and realize faith, right? And sometimes for, for people of color, for people who are living in urban environments, that takes a different shape. When people talk about joy, they think about, you know, certain things, right? Like, you know, dancing, partying, whatever, whatever it may be that you think of when you think of the word joy. But sometimes for people who are oppressed, joy is paying your bills. Joy is walking into a place and not being judged for how you present. Um, you know, joy is really, you can find joy in the simplest things. And a lot of times for people who are oppressed, that's where we find joy because there's not, you know, we walk around this city that we live in and there's really like, what is, what is out there that's saying, Hey, you should be a happy person. You should realize joy. Like there's nothing out there that is, that is encouraging that mm. we have to intentionally create that for ourselves um, and that's really what I talk about with Urban Joy is intentionally creating that for yourself, celebrating your wins, no matter how small they are, you celebrate that win because it's a win regardless, you know? And even when bad things happen, the next day is going to come. And that bad thing is only temporary. You can always turn the corner from that. And the other thing that I, I want people to understand is that failure you learn more through failure than you learn through success. When you're successful and everything goes your way, you don't learn. When you fail and things are not always going your way, you figure out how to make things go your way. And that is urban joy. And it, urban joy, like really just as soon as I saw the title, it, it placed me into like a visual space, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, there's, and as someone who is very passionate about placemaking and like nesting exactly. into community, it really like makes something that can seem less tangible, more tangible, right? You can exactly. feel and exactly. almost feel the conditions in which joy needs to be brought about in specific environments. And so I appreciated that kind of And I, like even for you, right? You know, I see you, you come out and you show up authentically as yourself everywhere that you go. And I'm sure that you've had all kinds of responses to that, right? But you still do it and you still do it with a smile on your face and you're still like, hey, I'm showing up and I'm showing up as I am and you can accept me or not. I really don't care because I'm going to still be happy and in my place. That's urban joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned faith briefly already, and you talk a lot about faith in this book. Um, and I've had a very rocky relationship with oh, quote unquote faith <laughs> myself. Right. Yeah. Being raised very conservative Baptist in an environment that did not welcome, embrace, or even acknowledge mm -hmm. my queerness. And as you communicate in the book, you've tapped into your spirituality separate from organized religion, which is very much where I am at in my own spiritual evolution. And one thing that I didn't realize to specifically until I was reading The Exit, your book, was the gut reaction, like almost this queasy feeling I felt when facing the word faith. Right, so, right. Yeah, right. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know I had this really difficult relationship with a word that means so much and it's nuanced and it means things to other people. And so from your perspective, can you share a bit about why faith is an important part of tapping into joy? 
I think we you you have to make space for that, right? Like when I think about it, um, and and I talk a little bit about it in the book, but when you think about people being enslaved, when you think about enslaved Africans, what like what was happiness for them? What was joy for them? What was making sure that they kept waking up every day and doing what they were doing every single day. There had to be something. There had to be some driver, some opening there for you to have hope and resilience, right? And that's that that opening is faith. And however you get there, whether it's organized religion or spirituality like like we talk about, and I and I talk about it in the book, spirituality is individual, right? Like however you connect from a spiritual perspective is is yours and you can mold that to what you want it to be what is most important um which my grandfather told me very early on in my life was that you are a good person and and he used to say you don't need a book to be a good person like you know right and wrong and you know how to be a good person you know how to see another human being as another human being Right. And that's really what it comes down to. And when you think about the the various religions and and what they teach in the book, most of the stories are about treating other other people as human beings, being a good person, um, showing up in certain situations, not doing certain situations. Right. So it's all around just being a good person and showing up as a human being for other human beings. I do feel like, you know, when I think about faith, I do feel like you have to have a connection to some such something outside of yourself, right? Whether it's a higher being, whether it's, you know, a spiritual practice, whatever it is, you have to have a connection to something outside of yourself to keep yourself going. When you think about enslaved Africans, like the conditions that they were living in, the things that were happening, they had to have something outside of themselves to continue on. And when I think about faith, that's what I think about. That's something outside of yourself that keeps you going. And that connects, I think, really, really strongly to a section of your book. And if you're willing, I'd love if you'd read a segment for our listeners um, on page nine. Um, It's really, you know, it speaks for itself. So I'd love if you'd be willing to to read read a, a piece for us. Sure. Every August, we were in Franklin Park to participate in the Boston Caribbean American Carnival. In the 90s, attendance averaged between 300,000 and 500,000. Caribbean people and others converge upon this area to celebrate the culture of the Caribbean. Caribbean Carnival is a rebellion. It is not a street party. It is an act of rebellion against enslavers, oppressors, in all of the European social norms that we, black and brown people of the Caribbean, have been and continue to be held to. In Grenada, we play a jab. The jab-jab loosely translates to devil-devil. The character is covered in oil, depicting the skin of our African ancestors, and drags a broken chain to signify the release from slavery. The jab character is the wildest in the carnival. The jab does whatever it is that its European captors would find inappropriate or had been disallowed for enslaved African people. The jab drinks in excess. The jab dances crazily and seductively. The jab jumps on cars and climbs fences. The jab is a savage. 
The jab savagery is isolated to, to enjoying everything that rum, music, and dancing can offer. We, the women and men in the carnival, control our bodies and sexuality. We are extreme. We are wild. That is the protest. That is the rebellion. Women are dressed in masquerade costumes, often bikinis or very revealing clothing adorned with feathers and jewels. Men may dress equally provocatively or sometimes in basketball shorts that are bejeweled and feather backpacks similar to those worn by the women. We can dance out in the streets, no matter the size or composition of our bodies. We are free to do what we like. This is our rebellion against white enslavers who controlled, raped, and abused our bodies. Thank you for reading that. In your recent TEDx Roxbury talk, and congrats mm-hmm. congrats on the TEDx stage. Thank you, thank you. By the way, it's up today on the TEDx platform, so I'm like official, official now. <laughs> yes, amazing. You talk about, and, and this is a quote, a modern enslavement, systems mm-hmm. and policies to keep us captive. And when... I read that section of the book and have seen and experienced carnival and it just the power in that visible rebellion through dance, through music, through this joy, this urban joy you talk about, um, you talk about that in your book. So can, when you talk about a modern enslavement, can you share with us how that is felt and experienced? And, and it's, it's, it's challenging to even speak about, to be honest, mm. because a lot of times that experience is denied, um, you know, by society, right? And a lot of times when we are raising situations that occur, to occur, you know, it's always like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And there's not you know, an immediate acknowledgement of this experience. I'm 46 years old. I've been a black woman my entire life. Like, I know what it looks like when somebody's treating me differently because of who I am. So when somebody says to you, like, or denies that experience, it's it's infuriating. Um, and at some points in my life, I feel like it's made me question you know, my own, you know, perception of, of reality, right? Because you constantly have people saying that's not the case. I think we see it right here in the city of Worcester. If we take the experience over the past 10 years, we're marking our 10-year anniversary um, for the Worcester Caribbean American Carnival this year. If we look at the past 10 years and the commentary that comes out after carnival like we we the, the response to us is completely different um and a couple of months ago i spoke about this at the city council how you know policies and procedures can be used to oppress people and we see it right last year the whole drama was around you know a, a young lady had jumped up on one of the police cars and was dancing on one of the police cars at the carnival And the thing that I share with people is there was multiple women that did it. There was white, a white woman that I seen a video of and a black woman that I seen a video of the video that was sent to the city of Worcester was the black woman. And the commentary basically like they're savages, you know, they're jumping on the police car, you know, the police should hang their heads for, for allowing this. And it was just like, this is racially charged language that was being used in that email 
And someone in the city departments that is paid by the city of Worcester forwarded that email to me and said, your event is now on probation. How? First of all, the Worcester Police Department had no, no, no issue. It happened, they dealt with it, and we moved on. They weren't concerned about it. But why would you send a racially charged email to me, right? Like, that is so traumatic. It's traumatic. And then for me to then have to fight back with the city to say, wait a minute, why is this person saying this? Why does this department think that they have the authority to do this to us? And, you know, get really vocal about it. But again, and like I talk about in, in, in my TED Talk, why do we always have to do this? Why do I have to stand up in my trauma and fight? Like, that's not fair. And for me to go to the city council and say, like, you know, give receipts. Like, I gave facts. I'm not making up stories. I'm giving you facts that I can show you in black and white of how we have been dealt with over the past 10 years by the city. And still, in that conversation, it was oh, well, maybe, you know, we need to look at the policies and we need to look at no true acknowledgement of what we all know actually is occurring. Absolutely. Like a societal gaslighting. That's just like, <laughs> totally, you know, totally. and, and, you know, it very presently we're, we're speaking at a time where the Supreme Court just tore down affirmative yeah, just action. Just tore down affirmative action. Meanwhile, you have, you know, Justice Clarence Thomas sitting there who benefited from affirmative action that now wants to pull the ladder up behind him. You have a white a white supreme a white woman supreme court justice who also likely benefited from affirmative action because we all know that white women are the ones who benefit the most from affirmative action. It's not black and brown people. Mm. But yet she also voted in favor of striking it down. So basically what you're saying is I'm fine with climbing the ladder and getting to the top, but I have no interest in letting anybody else do so. Yeah. And in the, you, you also talk about in the book, the, and I'm forgetting the exact quote, but how, um, America has this, um, you know, this, this focus around struggle. Yep. You, you talk about struggle, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and maybe you can uplift some of that and how that connect. And it does connect to this conversation around gaslighting and the pull yourself up by your bootstraps fan like fallacy that you know. Yeah. And and you know and all of this. And I think in some ways, America glorifies the story of struggle, but not looking at struggle of folks that are being truly oppressed and legislating oppression on black and brown folks, you know, and so struggle is something that needs to be challenged and, and pushed past and, and joy interweaves and connects in there as well. But it's like, why does everything have to be a struggle though? Mm. Right? Mm. Like why instead of saying like if a black or brown person or, or even, you know, even, even an LGBTQ plus person says, this has been my experience, right? And I'm not able to move forward in my life and achieve whatever it is, right? It could be, I want to get a sandwich and they're not letting me in because whatever. Why do we always have to struggle through that? That's right. And why is it always our responsibility to fix it? Like that, that's the part that bothers me, right? Like 
Why do I have to fit? Like, I didn't create racism. Mm. I didn't go to Africa and kidnap um, people, human beings, and bring them to America and make laws that made it legal for us to rape, you know, black women and keep their their children as as enslaved people. Like, I didn't do that. So why is it now my responsibility to fix it? That that's the part that that makes me upset, right? You know, talking in the in the in my TED talk about being an angry black woman, like I have a thousand and one reasons to be angry. But I don't want to walk around angry all the time. I want, I want to have joy. I want to enjoy and experience, you know, my children and grandchildren. I want to go vac- on vacation with my husband. I don't want to walk around angry all the time. And it should not be my responsibility. I didn't create it. And you say in the book, our, this is a quote, our whole system, society, is designed to disconnect you from your intuition. That Absolutely. also stood out to me. And I'm often driven by imagining different ways of being, of living, of shaping communities. Mm-hmm. And so this piece really stuck with me about society has been designed, the, and I think maybe really classifying this as like the American experience to disconnect you from your intuition. And I'd love to hear more about this from you. And we have about two or three minutes left. So we're getting close (laughs) to that time. And we knew this would happen. Yeah, we knew this was, we already know that when we get talking, we could talk all day. And, And that's exactly it. It disconnects you from your intuition because if we are confused, if we are, um, not focused, then you can be manipulated. It's just like being in a relationship or in a situation with a narcissist. If they can knock you off of your feet and make you question, then you're easily manipulated, right? And we see it like in the most mundane ways. For example, my 18-year-old just graduated um, high school. Shout out to Makai. Congratulations. But the whole story for them was, you need to go to college, you need to go, you know, amazing Ivy League college, cost yourself $200,000 in student loans because you need this to be successful. When you and I know from being out in the world that that is not true. But they gaslight you and they make you think that that is the only way that you're going to be successful. So if you do anything less than that, they've already set you up to think that you're a failure. So now you could be manipulated, right? Because Now you think you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So now I can tell you what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to live. Mm. Jen, I could talk to you forever. As (laughs) you know, I want to encourage folks to read a copy of The Exit Living with Urban Joy. We've been talking to Jennifer Gaskin for this special episode of Public Hearing. One of the things that really stood out to me was the, the rawness and the connection to your your experience um, and also how writing this book transformed your some of your perception of your own self Uh, of myself and of my community of people around me the whole thing and so I want to end on one of my favorite quotes from the book which is even though I have long thought of myself as someone who lives authentically it was when I tried to put myself on paper that I realized that was not completely true Mm -hmm. 
So Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we'll you include, so much for having me. We will include the links to follow Jennifer in our show notes. Make sure you check those out and stay updated about the important work that Jen is doing and the stories that she is sharing. And thank you listeners for listening to Public Hearing. Um, I'm your host, Joshua Croak, founder of Action by Design. Our audio producer is Juliano Dorazio. Thank you to the production team, Kelly Kajurik and Jack, and Jack Tripp, who make the show possible. The work continues, folks. Thanks for listening.